Hey folks, it's Jeremy Kirkland. You're listening to Blamo. How you doing? This is me. This is my podcast. <laughs> um, you know what? I'm going to be honest. I'm doing really good. But I was a little bit concerned at the beginning if I should even say I'm doing good. Do you ever feel that way? Where it's like, um, because everything, we're just so used to everything always being so crappy. And uh, you talk to someone and someone's like, ah, I don't know, man, this thing sucks. And you talk to another person and they're like, oh yeah, this life is just awful. But like deep inside, like you're doing good. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I got to say that I'm not doing good just so um, I can be like everyone else. It's a struggle. It's bad out there. Uh, it's bad for a lot of folks, for real. But I guess there can be good days, right? Oh, God. This isn't a self-help podcast. What am I doing with this intro? I'm going to run right into a wall. I just put myself into a corner. Uh, but look, I, I I am doing good. I hope you are all doing doing good, too. Whatever. Um, I had a nice week. I played some music this weekend. I tweaked a few of my speakers. I was moving them in different positions because I'm that idiot. And uh, I, even, I even played my guitar. Look at that. I was uh, also listening to my guest this week. Yep, Jason Isbell. Um, now, I got to give some background about this. For years, that's plural, years, meaning multiple, people have been like, you know what? You got to get Jason Isbell on. Oh, you know what? Have you heard of this dude, Jason Isbell? Oh, you remember the drive-by truckers? What about Jason Isbell? Oh, man, it'd be so great. You should get Jason Isbell on. Oh, he did a documentary. I, I get it. I love the dude. I'm a huge fan. Look at that. My voice even cracked. I'm such a huge fan. Um, but all this stuff takes time. It takes time. I'm trying my best. I'm sending those emails. And uh, we did it, folks. We did it. It was great. I love the guy. It was a huge pleasure and honor to talk with him. Um, you know, it was great, too, because we got to, there was a few times we were supposed to chat, and then something came up. He had to reschedule. I think at one point I even had to reschedule. I mean, it was it was crazy. But um, this was right after, I mean, I think like a day or so after he had won, um, I think his sixth Grammy. I should know this for a fact. I think it's six. Yeah. He's, uh, I mean, so the, the dude's riding high, as he should be. And uh, yeah, it was just a really good chat. We chat about wearing cool hats in the carpool line, listening to music with his, uh, with his daughter, which was awesome. Loving Randy Newman, playing in front of Paul McCartney, fast fashion, wearing Rick Owens with the fam. And yes, we talk gear. We talk Dumbo amps. One of the most requested pods in the making. Um, but we did it. Jason Isbell on Blamo. Let's go. Yeah, the best thing a Grammy can do is allow you to buy some more shoes. Yeah, well, how, so how have things been going lately? I mean, the, your whole life is like a nonstop whirlwind with, uh, with obviously, the, the film, but then, you know, previously before that, you had the documentary, and then, then obviously, the, the music. I mean, it's how are you finding time to just disconnect? It's madness. I don't have a lot of time to do that. Um, but, you know, I have an eight-year-old, um, and, mm-hmm. uh, and we hang out a lot together. And it's a, a kind of a perfect situation for me because she occupies the part of my brain that would drift into logistics if she wasn't around. And um, mm-hmm. also, you know, I don't have to be anything when I'm with my kid other than who I am. And uh, that's very rejuvenating for me. But since she's been she's been going to regular school for a little while now, so I have to like have to shift shift my hours. Like I went to sleep at 10 o'clock last night. It's really weird. 
Um, <laughs> and I got up at like 6.30 to take her to school. And it, it feels so strange because like, you know, first thing I'm doing is trying to figure out a fit. And then I'm like, I'm just driving to school and driving back. You know, uh, I don't need to put this much time into it, but the caffeine hasn't hit my brain yet. And so I'm like yeah. going through different combinations of clothes. I'm like, what are you doing? Just put on some pants and take your child to school. No, this is, this is, you've achieved nirvana because I think at the end of the day, what you realize, and I say this as a, you know, I have two kids. I have a six and a half year old and an 18 month old. And yeah. now living in living in the Midwest and kind of commuting back here, it's all about getting fits off for the carpool line. It's That's that trick. this is it. I, That's it. I, I live to you get a nice piece of outerwear and I walk her up for about 30 seconds and a bunch of people in Under Armour stare at me, wonder what I'm doing. All and the uh, I see all her all off. <laughs> Man, I was at uh, my grandmother. My grandmother recently passed, and uh, I was oh, at sorry the funeral. Thank you. I mean, it's my grandma. I'm 44 years old. I was very lucky to have a grandmother for that long. But yeah. I was at the funeral, and my aunt, you know, she says that somebody at my grandfather's funeral eight months previously had mentioned uh, what I was wearing, you know, in a way that, like, well, doesn't he look fancy, you know? And and right. I said that my Under Armour was, was dirty. You know, I didn't have my camouflage like everybody else since the damn <laughs> Alabama funeral. So I had to wear a black suit, you know. Um, oh, what was yeah, me? Please forgive me. Please <laughs> forgive me for wearing a black suit to a funeral. Um, but yeah, it is about the thing. The problem with the carpool line is if you don't get out of the car, then you're tempted uh -huh. to put on a cool hat. And the cool hat temptation is the worst. That's the worst possible thing that you can be tempted by as a, as a man who's trying to look, you know, cool. Um, there's the cool hat is it's hen's teeth, man. It's so rare. There's like three cool hats in the world and the rest of them are like total shit. So it's funny you mentioned cool hats. So I have, which I literally took off before this pod and I wear in New York a lot. And so it's this ice cream company called Ted Drew's. Yeah. It's this, St. Louis local, you know, ice cream place. And I love it because it's an ugly hat. It's a weird yellow. It's got red and green on it. It's just, it's weird, but it, it always kind of like dresses down different outfits I have. And it's kind of been like my little signature yellow hat. But when I'm in St. Louis, I wear it and people are like, oh, so you work at Ted Drew's? And I'm uh -huh. like, no, dude, I'm, I'm trying to be cool. <laughs> I'm <being> cool. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, no, like no, no, this is cool. <laughs> it's like an Alabama hat anywhere except for where I grew up. You know, it's really yeah, cool. If I wear it tide. back home, it's just like, yeah, I've got one of those on too, buddy. And my friend Chris Tompkins, who lives here in Nashville, and he, he's a songwriter. He's written like 15 number one country songs. He has a different Alabama hat for like every... Like if he wears a suit, he has a nice, clean Alabama hat, mm. you know, and it like he switches them out. Yeah. Um, so it's not, you know, it's not a flex at all in, in that part of the world. But if I'm in Paris, you know, and I'm wearing Celine right? and I have on an Alabama hat, it's extra cool all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, that is really interesting. Yeah. How has, you know, this been with your daughter? You know, so for, for me, I just hit this age now where and my daughter at this age where now one she's aware of music and mm -hmm. she's asking me so in the house we play a lot of van halen we play a lot of beatles i really try to nice. indoctrinate them in a way obviously a lot of a lot of your music and there's you know i'm trying kids to explain to them how you know, kids different, love sad right? old white men 
<laughs> no, <laughs> in a weird way, yes. But, it, you know, I was trying to explain to her the who and how they, you know, and she was like, well, why would they destroy their stuff? But, you know, the, the bigger question that I'm getting at is like, how has your your daughter's curiosity of music and understanding yours affected the way that you compose it? Well, before she actually started getting around other children, it was perfect. Mm. Because then, okay. you know, we listened to the Beatles and Towns Van Zandt and, uh, uh, you know, the, that kind of stuff. But but once she started getting around other people, then I, my control over that completely went out the window. Um, Uh-oh. Gratefully, I'm, I'm very happy about it, though, because she does have taste. And it's like she's eight now, so it's really sort of formed over the past two or three years. And there are certain things that she very clearly likes and dislikes. And uh, she speaks Spanish. Uh, her nanny, who was her private teacher for a while, um, speaks Spanish. So that's just how they talk to each other all the time. I do not Incredible. speak Spanish. Yeah, I don't speak Spanish at all. But I listen to, lately, it's been the Caliucci's record just constant because it's like, I have no idea what she's saying. I'm sure it's very sexual and beautiful, but it's uh, kind of like Sigurose to me. It's like the voice just becomes another <laughs> instrument, you know? And I never, like, I'm never listening to Rosalia thinking that's a stupid lyric because I don't know if it is or not. You know, I got no clue. It all sounds equally beautiful to me. Um, Carol G, Becky G, more Carol G than Becky G these days. Um, uh, uh, Demi Lovato, you know, she, she doesn't sing in Spanish much, but Mercy loves Demi. That we have to start the day off with confident by Demi Lovato and, uh, a couple of Octobers ago, we had finished our run at the Ryman, and we'd done like two weeks of shows there. And mm-hmm. I told Mercy I'd left a guitar in the dressing room, uh, when in fact, it was, Demi was playing at the Ryman. So I like took her in, and it was Demi. It wasn't like my dressing room anymore. They'd switched it over, and Demi was there. She was so sweet. And, you know, she would point at Mercy in the crowd and wave during her favorite songs and stuff. First of all, I thought these Hot Topic bitches were going to murder my child. I, she, they were like, how do you know her? I was like, she is seven, dude. There's no, like, whatever she's doing, you're not going to be able to do because she's seven and you're 25. But um, yeah. but it was so sweet. And then actually I ran into Demi uh, after the Grammys the other night and, and got to thank her again for that because it was just, it was beautiful. But this is what I'm listening to lately. It's a bunch of, like, pop music that, I wouldn't normally, and and that might have been risky for me at twenty five or thirty years old, you know, because yeah. there's sometimes yeah. when you're that age, you get into something and you think you have to try to let it, you know, filter into your work in a way that's that's a little too heavy handed. But yeah, I'm forty four. I've made a lot of records. My records are going to sound like mine. And the only thing really that might be affected is I might pick up a little bit of a better knack for the melody and construction of songs. And I'm super grateful for that. Like I, I like Tate McRae, which I call the hockey pop girl because she's like yeah. from Calgary and she's wearing all this hockey shit. It's it's hilarious. But the songs are strong. They're really well built and uh interesting so yeah lately it's been a whole lot of pop and then when i'm by myself i listen to that caliucci's record because it's just it sounds like sade it's beautiful right i i think that's that's a thing that's been really interesting for me especially at this age we're at now where in terms of the digital streaming world the the newness and i'm kind of air quoting that of music it is just across the board where mm-hmm. people are discovering steely dan 
the same time they're discovering you and discovering, you know, Grateful Dead and, you know, Olivia Rodrigo. And it, you know, a part of me is like, okay, like I used to be like, I worked in the music industry for a long time. I worked at Beggars for a bunch, uh, which is how I knew Jen and, and other folks. But like, I have really tried to peel back my own cynicism and elitism in music and try to find some way to celebrate this. I'm like, okay, this is great. Like, if you want to know someone's influences and dig in, it's all in front of you. It's right there. But like, I, I yeah, but I, I, you know, I'm like, well, the joy of discovery, and this is a thing where I wrestle with a lot and I'm not projecting, but like, I used to really love the work required to find new music, you know, especially like wax where I would be like, well, look, you want to talk, you know, fine, you're into rock and horse. All of a sudden I get into light in the attic you know, LPs and stuff and really love how much work was required to discover new music. Mm-hmm. And now it's just easy and there's this level of appreciation. And so I'm trying to also understand that there's a time where now it's also easy to discover you, right? Yeah. It's you you don't have to, I mean, obviously your distribution stuff, but you don't have to dig as much to find these things. And so if if it's very easy to discover, you know, and there's no work, it, it makes me wonder like, well, how does that shape the experience of it? You know, yeah. I, I don't yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think it goes back to the material and the songs and the purpose for the songs, you know? Um, yeah. And fair. like, it may not take you a long time to find my music, but it's going to take you a long time to really uh, appreciate it, I think, you know? You can get yeah. there quickly, but it's not its its not the kind of music that's going to reward you completely on the first two or three listens, um, you know? And, and that's not a statement of value. It's like sometimes yeah. I don't want to listen to heavy shit. You know, obviously I listen to a lot of things that aren't heavy. Um, but chances are I won't be returning to a lot of those records in five or 10 years. And, you know, used to be the process of finding something sort of fit in with the process of understanding it and appreciating it. Now those are separate. You know, now it doesn't take that yeah. long to build, doesn't take that long to build the fire. That means you need to put more time into the cooking the meat. You know, like yeah. I, I bet barbecue was terrible when people had to use flint rock to make the fire because they already <laughs> they did so much work. It's like, I just want this to not kill me. It doesn't matter what it tastes like. But cooking didn't happen until fire was really easy, you know. Yeah, fair. OK, There's... <laughs> we now have the opportunity to focus more on the meal and the presentation of it because it didn't take so long to get the fire started. Yeah, like for me, when I as I like listen and discover music. So like I'll find things and I'll listen to it on my phone and then I'll listen to it on the car on occasion. But then I got only maybe the past few years, I got a really high end DAC and I got some really nice headphones and then I sit and I'll, I'll experience a record from start to finish. Yeah. And I want to hear it, you know, the highest possible quality. So it's either wax or, you know, I'm listening at 24 bit. I want to, I want to hear your fingers slide across the frets I want to hear the dumble, you know, I want to hear mm-hmm. all the, all the gear on there and man, it's, it's heavy. It, there, there's stuff where, you know, there's, there's even just like, I've heard what run with our eyes goes like a gajillion times, but like hearing some of these things when you hear the room. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, what the hell? I mean, it's, it's, it's emotional. Like, I mean, and going back to, you know, I listened to blood on the tracks again the other day and you're just like, you know, just knowing all the stuff that goes into it. I mean, it's, like as I listen to music now and I tell people like it's an extremely emotional, like draining experience. Like it's it it taxes you and I and I love it. Yeah. Yeah. If you commit yourself to listening as an activity, you know, I mean we used to get we used to get real high 
and do that. You know, you get real stoned and listen to records and and being real stoned. That's a current thing for me right now. I think a lot of people are doing this. I would do it too if it didn't make me want liquor. But I think, you know, yeah. you get real stoned and it encourages you to stay put until you got through the side of the, you're not going to get up and skip around because you're not going to get up at all. Yeah. You know, like no. having to flip the record over sometimes is, is a lot of work, you know, when you're that high. Yeah. But I still, I still have, uh, like psychedelic experience of just listening to music and i think because i'm not listening to music in order to do something else the the activity is listening to the music and listening to records and i think for that reason i might not actually listen to music as often as uh you know a, a typical listener does because if i'm getting ready for an event if i'm you know going to a football game i'm not pre-gaming by listening to country records if i'm gonna listen to country records, right. i'm gonna sit down and listen to some fucking country records and that's what i'm gonna be doing yeah um, i think it's more rewarding but it also you wind up spending less time with music just sort of playing in your life in the background yeah i mean there because there's stuff that's like you look fine you want to put on the troll soundtrack harriet like you can have mm-hmm. it on while we're making dinner but there's other stuff to where you know and this is i'm curious now it's like you know, a lot of your writing process has been exposed in a in an amazing way. And I think it's created a really beautiful, empathetic relationship with your listeners and your work. But are there things that you've, you know, when you try to take a minute to go away or like, is there a song or is there an album that you listen to to kind of reset or get your mind right when, when you're writing? Oh, uh, like Gillian Welch, you know, I'll go back and mm. listen to like Time the Revelator or uh, Soul Journey or you know, really any Gillian record and partially i think that's to get my mind right but also you know i like to ask myself uh, why would somebody take this record off and put yours on every time i go to sit down and write i think you know or if somebody comes to me with something they're like you've got to listen to this new so-and-so album i'm like is should i take sticky fingers off the record player and listen to that you know and very <laughs> often they'll go well i don't know about that i'm like well that's what's on the fucking record player and i know what's going to happen when i play it again so if, if, if it's going to be worth my time, it needs to be worth me taking sticky figures and putting it back in the sleeve and sliding it in the slot and putting this record on. And so when I go to write an album, you know, I'll listen to somebody like Gil because it's like, well, this is already here, you know, and, and for me to, to purchase some of your attention and some of your time, this is sort of the standard, uh, that I have to try to match as far as just telling stories and getting to the heart of emotions you know yeah do you like set that as ways that you feel like you need to challenge yourself or is it more of like a way to just pull something out of your brain um it's both you know i think what i consider to be the best examples of songwriting are inspiring and inspiring is tricky because like if i see steve vi play the guitar it's not necessarily inspiring it's not very inspiring it's beautiful it's amazing Mm. it's impressive but i don't think i want to go learn how to do that because I think it's going to take me a year, you know, to learn how to do just that one run that he just did. Songwriting is different because when you like let go of the ego and you have no need to prove anything, then you try to express things in terms that are conversational. And when that happens, you hear the song and you think, I could do that. And that's when, to me, that's when I'm inspired. When I think, oh, those words are there. I just haven't found them yet, you know. Uh, not this person's pulling off some kind of mysterious magic trick. Uh, you know, the, the, the process to me, uh, 
shouldn't be hidden. Uh, I think that's kind of another like um, exercise of the ego is, is when you start saying there's all this magic involved. And, you know, you're catching lightning in the bottle. Or you're just a conduit or whatever. I think basically you're saying, you know, I need to make what I'm doing seem more special than it is. And it's not. At some point, you know, somebody just sat down and thought, man, I bet it would be fun if I made these words longer, you know, and maybe <laughs> yeah, made, made some noises with this object that I think I can control. And maybe that would help me to remember where the food is or where the bear is so I don't get eaten, you know, and it, it really is that simple. And I think it should feel uh inclusive in the way that, you know, you hear a really good Randy Newman song. You don't hear the work. You know, it doesn't sound like he's gone through a lot of steps to get there. He probably has. But by the time it gets to you, you think, oh, this is just an old man talking. That's a deep cut, Randy Newman. I think he's one of the yeah. most underrated American composers ever. Greatest, I mean, yeah, one of the greatest of all time. Yeah. A I, yeah. yeah. Who turned you on to Randy Newman? I don't feel like that is in the lexicon um, of most musicians. We got way into it when I was in my early 20s in the drive-by truckers van because when they did Southern Rock Opera, right before I joined that band, I think Good Old Boys was sort of a lodestar for them because that mm -hmm. was, you know, Good mm -hmm. Old Boys was kind of a Southern Rock Opera of sorts. Um, yeah. And I think that was one that Patterson was returning to pretty frequently. So we listened to it a lot in the, in the van and, and it just knocked me on ass because it sounds like you know uh somebody just found those words or overheard those conversations and that kind of set me in the direction that i've been on ever since which is you know things take on so much more meaning and so much more depth if they're not uh songwriterly and they're not all that impressive just as word to word mm -hmm. if you overhear something in a bar you know and it really hits you in the right way you'll remember it for the rest of your life if you hear it at a at a lecture at a university it just blends in with all the other smart people shit you've heard over and over yeah i mean so it's funny you said that so i uh i did you know i moved to new york ages ago and came here to be a musician and was you know i was in a band and, and i'm a guy who like i grew up playing a bunch in my church played guitar piano mandolin all that stuff and you know and then did uh, a bunch of classes at berkeley in boston really trying to think like that was going to unlock the secret to get there. And when I, you know, got to meet other people and a lot of people who had left Berkeley or had been around there and you realize so much of it was just like soul and to which it wasn't that like, okay, you need to compose like this triad fits perfectly through here. And you recognize there was so much more emotion in music and what we connect with, you know, even like nonsense lyrics of the Beatles, right? Like, yeah. oh, blah, deal, oh, blah, you know, like that, that was not some, oh, thank God he took that class at Berkeley that taught him that. And right, I'm, it's right. no shade on those things, but that what what I always find myself connecting with are things that are you know from the soul. I mean, it sounds kind of trite, yeah. but it's it's true. And Randy Newman stuff, especially when you realize a lot of that stuff was satire and trying to attack and uh, the you know point out the hypocrisy of, of current political things and things like that that were happening, uh -huh. like Newman stuff. Oh yeah, God, it hits. It hits so it's hard. heavy. It's heavy. But you know, I feel like it really once you figured out the perspective shift, like. Like once mm -hmm. you have some access to the soul of what you're trying to create and you think, oh, the secret is just to look at everything really closely and figure out mm -hmm. or ascribe meaning to it. Once you've done that, then having that education really does come in handy, you know, because Randy yeah. can read Agreed. music. You know, Randy spent mm -hmm. time, you know, his family has what? 
close to 30 Oscars now because his, oh, that's uh, absurd. Yeah. his, yeah. his uncle and his dad and his son actually does like movie music at, at WME. But, um, you know, they, he's an educated musician and, and he could play things way more complicated, but to have that background, you know, you, you, you know why. And when you're looking for an idea, that's when it really, really comes in. When you need a bridge, you know, like when I wrote, yeah. The, bridge to traveling alone i thought i want something unexpected i want a left turn like almost concrete because it's a driving song i want something that doesn't feel natural until it's resolved and i knew yeah you know mathematically theoretically where to go what my options were in that situation that song is very simple you know the chorus is a very simple very uh, um, uh emotional thing that anybody could have written but when you get to that bridge it really helped me to have a musical education at least enough that would lead me to you know being able to put what i wanted to do into words having gillian was was at berkeley you know she came down here with pat as part of the songwriting class and that's what made her want to stay from from how the story goes so it's it's i think if you expect that kind of education to unlock everything for you then you, mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna sound like you know contemporary christian music forever no matter what you're trying to do <laughs> you know you're gonna be you're gonna be staring so you're not at a the phil fan? <laughs> you know feels good but that was early man that was early that was and and the goat amy grant yeah i mean she made art in that, motion dude she made that a popular type of music you know um but there was more than just an education behind like they were singing for a purpose higher than themselves which is what we're doing in the secular forum too it's just you know we you don't have to accept this purpose as being the same it can be god or sex or love or pain or whatever yeah that's interesting wait 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 a second i gotta get my bids in on the bezel app but more on that in, in a minute i get all sorts of emails and questions from you all which i love to read and respond And one thing I constantly get and even read in the Blamo Slack is, what watch should I buy and where should I get it? It's a wild world out there with all sorts of websites and shops, but I go to Bezel. Bezel is the trusted marketplace for buying and selling your next luxury watch with expert in-house authentication on every purchase. First off, folks, it's getbezel.com. That's getbezel.com. But I use and recommend Bezel because it's the best of both worlds. You can go to the site and browse a marketplace of luxury watches, over 16,000 of them, by the way, which is a lot. And I know that Bezel is going to authenticate your purchase. Or you can create an account and get connected with your own private client advisor called the concierge. Because look, making a watch purchase can be confusing, especially when you don't know all the reference numbers. When was this made? Did they use ceramic then? Is it a triple lop, dingle top? You know, what the heck? I don't even know. But they do at Bezel, and they're here to help. Concierge, baby. Look, if looking for your watch to mark a special occasion, or maybe you're just doing research, right? They even have their own journal where you can learn all the ins and outs about Bezel and the brands and all the stuff that's happening right now. But back to my bids. Yes, Bezel now has auctions. And not just any auctions. They got Rolex, they got Cartier, they got Audemars Piguet, all the big dogs and more. So you can discover, bid, and know the Bezel team has got your back with verified in-house authentication. So visit getbezel.com on your smartphone or computer, Bezel, the trusted marketplace for buying or selling your next luxury watch. 
My dad was a musician for a long time doing the kind of CCM style stuff. And he played a lot with, um, and I never realized this until he got older. You know, he's, he's in an assisted living home and he's been suffering from Parkinson's for a long time and it's just not who he was. But maybe the past few years I've been discovering a lot of his other music and it slaps and, you know, and learning that like, you know, my mom was like, oh yeah, he was playing a lot with Dan Peek. And I'm like, from America? And she was mm-hmm. like, oh yeah. And I'm like, what? And it, it's, you know, there's stuff there. Cause like my, you know, in a weird way, my dad's whole mission with his music was like, yeah, I want to write, you know, I don't know if you're a J.R.R. Tolkien or C.S. Lewis fan, but both of them would would discuss with each other while C.S. Lewis was like, you need to be, you need to make your art tell more people about Christianity. And Tolkien yeah. was like, no, I am a Christian and I'm just going to make my art. And because of who I am, yeah. it's just going to, it's just going to exist. I'm, I'm not on a mission, about, I'm just going to be an I want to tell them about war. I want to tell them about World War I. <laughs> and then they'll find yeah, exactly, God right? or not through that. Yeah, yeah. You know, but my dad was on always kind of on the Tolkien side of just like in the sense he would just write music and sometimes there would be stuff and like, oh, it's kind of religious, is it not? Whatever. But pretty cool. It's a nice little Toto-esque looking solo you got there on this on the, yeah. on the keys. But mm-hmm. I've been discovering that stuff more lately and really trying to understand more of like where his head was at. I don't know. I think about that a lot. But yeah, when you said that, that kind of triggered some memories. It's hard. The line, man, it's it's really, really hard in any type of entertainment for me. Because the way I grew up was in a religious place, you know, around religious people. But they were not. This was not prosperity gospel. This was survival yeah. gospel. And I have a hard time reconciling, you know, serving God versus serving yourself, you know, so much so that I'll just go ahead and say, I want to be rich, and famous and make rock and roll. I'm not going to yeah. pretend like I'm doing it for anybody else, you know, Yeah. Um, because I think there's some real kind of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit happening uh, when you pretend that you're doing something for God, but you're you know, flying around on a private jet and stuff. I, I, I can't, no, I don't I agree. think those things are wrong separately, but I think if you sell them as a package deal, you're, you're going to get the, the, the sharpest pitchfork in hell. I mean, you just summarized why a lot of people have walked away from churches in general is because there's a, uh, you know, I, I, people's behaviors often are in direct conflict with the scripture or whatever that they're trying to read. I mean, I mean, I'm, I grew up very over church mm-hmm. and have had my own sort of situation trying to understand what that means, especially as a parent now and like, well, should I do this? Well, I don't want to, is it my imposing? You know, I mean, I'm not saying that I know the answers, but I think that there's, there's more stuff that's visible that I think has raised more questions for me than just accepting a, you know, put a Bible on Go it. Go for it. Yeah. 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 All of the dogma of it all. I mean, it is an old question. You know, it's one mm. that Catholics and Lutherans and, you know, it's like, well, if we have this beautiful building where people can come, Mm-hmm. and experience the, the architecture and the, the cathedral, you know, uh, then they're more likely to commit themselves to God. And and there's some of that that I understand. But that I, that doesn't hold up when you're putting softball fields and stuff in, you know, at the mega. That doesn't quite, I don't know, buddy. I don't know that that's helping. You know, there's other places to play softball. Um, <laughs> I think if you're walking past if you're walking past people who don't have a, pl- a place to sleep mm-hmm. in order to get into your church to, to you know, bathe in wealth and riches, then you may have jumped the shark. Yeah. Uh, that, that's just my personal opinion on that. I see religion and spirituality as a, as a small personal thing that when it's at its best, it is committed to helping people survive and feel free. Um, 
And outside of that, I think if you want to show off, you go be Elton John, you know, uh, don't don't pretend that it's for somebody else. Yeah, I mean, I I, I wholeheartedly hear you. Like, I think there's there's a lot to that. You know, I mean, I, for me, I'm just like, look, just go be around a community of people who are going to love you for who you are and try to put put push you in a better way and and, you know, make you right. a better person. And accountability. Accountability is huge. There you go. Yeah, like it's really good for us psychologically to have people that we could let down, you know, like yeah. like when when people call me and they're like, my son's just getting out of rehab or something. What do I do? First of all, I don't know. I'm not you know licensed to do any of that. But if you want my advice for that, I say give them some real responsibility. Mm. You know, it's a risk. It's a risk if you do that. If you're like, I need you to pick so and so up school every Wednesday afternoon, mm-hmm. then they might not do it. You know, um, but if there's no risk, then there's no reward. And when you give somebody that accountability and really make them feel needed, you know, in a lot of cases, they'll rise to the occasion. Um, it, it, it rarely helps to say, I'm here for you, whatever you need. You know, that never fucking helped anybody. That, yeah. that, that did the opposite. That's the opposite of helping because then people are like, Oh, okay. Well, then there's another safety. Yeah, that's interesting. And I imagine you probably get exposed to that quite a bit more as you're, you know, you're open and transparent with your own journey and sobriety. I mean, congratulations on 12 years, by the way. Um, Thank you. Thank you. That's a big deal. I hope did you get your coin. No, I got to get my coin and I got to get my tattoo. I've I've, I've got my 11 tattoos here. I got to get one more. Um, But no, I just. Honest, I'm going to tell you the truth. This is the longest I've sat down for in a week because the Grammy stuff was constant. Uh, I had a couple of tributes to play and yeah. my voice wasn't in great shape. And then you were sick then, earlier on tour. I, I was sick. And, you know, and then I get up there to sing Wanted Dead or Alive at the Bon Jovi Music Care tribute. And I look down, which I should know better than this, but there sits Paul McCartney and Bruce Springsteen right in front of me. And I just looked right into their faces and I was terrified. I was scared. I got nervous, which is like bizarre. Um, I'm not used to being nervous, but I think it helps because there was so much trouble in here that like, Singing extra hard pushed it all out. You know, uh, I think the adrenaline from looking at Paul McCartney's face got me through that performance. That is pretty dope. That's cool. It was a lot, man. It was a lot. I was like, ah, that shit. And he was like, you know, Paul was this unannounced guest. Bruce was the announced guest. So you it's already a unannounced lot. guest. Yeah. Yeah. There's like four people in the world it could have been. And he was, he was one of them. Um, but all of that went well. I had a great time. You know, and then I just I got home and, you know, I got my daughter and got her up and got her to school today. And it's just been like, go, 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 go um, pretty, pretty steadily. I did something yesterday. I don't remember what I did, but it, it was pretty. You got to Hopefully you're getting some time to take care of yourself. I mean, I want to definitely jump on the clothes stuff because I think for a lot of folks from musicians and other folks in the fashion industry and our, our mutual buddy will like there's there's people listen to your music and a lot of stuff. But then there's also like, wait, that dude's rocking some Viz shoes on that. Or Wait a second. What, what yeah. dude's got some capital on that set? Like, where did your when did you start to get more into clothes? I've kind of always been into it. I just I got way more into it when I could afford it. <laughs> Uh, you know, because it didn't do me any good to be into that shit before. Um, yeah. Because then I would just be sad. People say that a lot. I'm so happy to see you getting into fashion. Basically, what they mean is I'm glad you're not broke anymore because I was always into it. <laughs> and I would always try to find cool things. 
things, you know, that didn't look like what everybody else was wearing. Like I remember, you know, my first European tour, I bought this pair of like inside out Air Force Ones. You remember when they were doing that? They were like stitching them inside out. Yeah. I got those in Amsterdam and I wore them for a couple of weeks until I got back in the States and I got to St. Louis and uh, I, went, I took the bartender at this club back to the hotel with she threw up all over those shoes. <laughs> and the next morning I just left them there. I was like, maybe the house cleaner will clean them up and keep them for their kid or something because it was so disgusting. Uh, you know, the things we do for love. But uh, but it's always been an interest. It's just never been something I've been able to indulge uh, until this point. And I think, when, you know, if you get to a certain point, now, obviously, all this is relative and you can put your money and your, and your interests in other places. But I don't think you should have a closet full of she and, and forever 21, you know, if you can afford to have the real stuff. Because it, you know, you you need if if it's possible for you to wear clothes that people are getting paid to make, I think that's a good thing. And if you can wear clothes that are going to last for a while um, and not wind up in a landfill somewhere, I think that's a good thing. Um, so I finally got to the point where my closet is all pretty good stuff that I'll have for a few years. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you said that because I I have you know I'm not a fan of Sheen, and I'll say this: where when someone's like, "Check it out," I got you know, eight sweaters, four pairs of pants, and it's cool because I just need it for the week and I paid 14 bucks. There's a, there's a human capital that gets some, someone's paying that. And there's, there's definitely a a human capital expense that happens. And, and, you know, it's funny because I I think a lot, like I got into clothes for my grandpa and I remember, you know, my grandpa, old Italian dude, you know, and I was like, man, I was like, you know, mom, how many suits did he have? Or how many, she's like, well, you know, he just had a couple. And I was like, really? And I'm like, oh yeah. Because yeah, it right? cost so much. That was his suit. That was his sweater. It wasn't, it wasn't like me. And even, you know, I'm not a, a you know wealthy individual, but I've managed to make enough to get a couple sweaters here and there that I'm like, oh yeah. When it was just one or a couple things, you really took care of it. You really, it was precious to you. And I think, you know, sometimes I, I, I lament a little bit about people's you know, just having having something for a weekend, you know, like I'm just air quoting. Oh, it. yeah. It's like, yeah, oh, I just yeah. need it for tonight. I'm like, no, like there's got to be a way that like, what if you just invest a little more or you, you know, and it's tough because I, I want to find a way to do it without sounding that like, well, if you don't have money, you can't have good clothes. But I think the knowledge and working towards that is really important to understand. Yeah. And, and you know, at, at a certain point, I mean, if you don't have a certain amount of money, you're just going to have to do the best you can with whatever you've got. But at a certain point, you do get to make some decisions. And if you're less interested in, uh, you know, uh, uh, a shortened attention span way of dress and and you think, well, like, for example, people started rewearing things over the past few years a lot more on Mm -hmm. red carpets and events. And this is fantastic. Like, it makes no sense to me that, you know, somebody like Jennifer Lawrence would need a different dress every time. Like, I get it, you know, the paparazzi, the photos, the sure, Getty, sure. all that. But this lady's going to look beautiful in anything that she finds to wear, you know, yeah. and she's always going to look great. And eventually it does. It works another trick. Like, was it Toby Maguire that just started wearing the same thing every day? <laughs> yeah. uh, just because the paparazzi would lose interest to be like, well, there's another picture of Toby Maguire in that shirt. You know, Leo does it, too. Yeah. <laughs> Jeremy Allen White's doing the same. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, it's fantastic because then it's like you, you're actually relying on more of who you are and your human experience to tell somebody a story about you rather than just I've got this different expensive thing on it. Um, yeah. You know, I like I like to look good. It gives me more confidence. I see it more as a flag than as a shield. Um, it's always been a way that I have set myself apart from the rednecks that I grew up around in Green Hill, Alabama in the 80s. Um, uh, but at the same time, I think that it should be a doorway into who you are as an individual, you know, yeah. rather than just the entire facade. Do you think you're at a point now where you're experimenting less and you're more kind of like you found your style? Yes. I mean, I don't know if it means I'm experimenting less, though. Because okay. I think my style allows for experimentation, um, you know, now not in not in ways that call attention to, uh, you know, the clothes on first glance. But I like I like anything that makes you stop like the first time you see it or the first time you hear a song or read a line in a novel. You just go through it quick and then you go, oh, wait, hold on. Mm. There's something there that I miss. And you go back, you know, and I try to write songs that way and I try to wear pants that way. You know, <laughs> yeah, because it's like the double you, take. I don't, yeah. I don't want to. Yes, I don't want to immediately catch everybody's attention, but yeah. I want something to be just a little bit different. You know, just a little, it's like cars. It's like you see a beautiful car um, and you think, man, a lot of that money's going to the designers, you know, mm-hmm. because there's no reason uh, technically and mechanically why a Kia can't be as beautiful as a Ferrari. It doesn't cost more to make a car that is beautiful looking. It just costs more to get people to do that job, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that's the difference. Like the jeans that I'm wearing now, they look basically just like Levi's unless you look at them for 30 seconds and then you're like, hold on a minute. That's a little bit better than how it should. That's what interests me. And that means I can get away with something a little bit crazy every once in a while, but it is all situational. Um, you know, I, I, I keep myself in many worlds at once and I'm not going to go visit family members, uh, you know, in Alabama wearing Rick Owens, you know. (laughs) Yeah, I actually made that mistake. Maybe the shoes, maybe the vans, maybe the vans. The dark shadow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they won't. Yeah, they won't notice. But I'm not going to go down there with my crotch drop down to my knees to see my Aunt Crystal for the weekend. So I had I literally had that happen to me. I'm a kind of guy for myself. Like I've gone. I don't really know how to just dip my toe in. I'm whole hog, right? And so I mm. was really into Rick for a while. And I remember, you know, I was wearing a skirt and this is like 2011. I had like just gotten married and my in-laws were coming into town. And my wife was like, maybe you don't wear the skirt to dinner. And I was like, what do you mean? I mean, come I on. I was it. like, babe, I this is Rick. It. This is Rick, babe. And she was just like, mm. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm still, it. I'm learning. <laughs> well, maybe they're learning. You know, maybe yeah, they need true. to learn. Maybe you don't it's need true. to learn. Because it, it, that's the, the most beautiful thing to me about crazy fashion is it's arbitrary. It's yeah. like all tattoos that aren't like racist. You know, it right. doesn't fucking matter. If I have a cow tattooed on my cheek, this is not going to like affect your interaction with me in any way. I'm just it's just there. So you'll have a preconceived notion that I can later work to prove that might not necessarily be true. That's the beautiful thing about wearing ridiculous clothes. <laughs> um, yeah. But then you have to consider, like, what do I want these people to think, if anything? Like, if I'm walking around in Balenciaga 
now. You know, people are thinking this old man's trying to look younger than he is. And that we can't have. Yeah. We can't have, Agreed. we can't have, yeah, we can't have that. You know, um, I can't be wearing the, you know, sneakers that are this big and the big rubber boots and all, you know, it's fun. I'm glad it exists, but I do have to kind of dress like an adult because, because I don't want people to think that I'm trying to, you know, sneak in the club and creep them out. Yeah. You don't want to look like you're playing Fortnite in real life. Like, no. Unless it. you're playing, unless you're that age and you're playing Fortnite, that's man, fine. you know, go for it. <laughs> if you want to look like Bella Porch, look like Bella Porch, but that's not going to work for me. You know, they're going to yeah. see through that real quickly. So, I mean, I wouldn't be conscious of time. We we got a little bit of time left, but um, you're you're kind of wrapping up on a lot of this stuff in terms on you know the marathon of press stuff from Killers of the Flower Moon, which I mean, I know you've done tons of interviews like that, so we'll skip that for this pod. But you know, how are you going to just detox yourself and unwind and you know are you going to pick up golfing all of a sudden are you like are you immediately (laughs) going to go back and start writing what's the what's the way that you can have your time i stop enough on my walks to need to golf i already have a good number of stops (laughs) i don't need to stop and hit something every 10 minutes um i'm not a golfer uh Probably because I didn't grow up in the golf, you know, yeah, I'm not uh, tax bracket. Yeah. But, you know, my buddy, my buddy, Jamie Johnson, he grew up right down the street from a golf course in Montgomery. And they were always shitty to him when he was a kid because they didn't have a lot of money. So as an adult, he bought the golf course. You know, <laughs> and and uh, and and but then COVID hit. So he lost his ass because nobody was coming to play golf there. And we were writing a song together later. He said, brother, I got to tell you. One piece of advice, never buy a golf course out of spite. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'll, I'll keep that in mind, you know. Um, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go play some regular, normal rock and roll concerts with my rock and roll band. Because this is the most relaxing, uh, uh, rejuvenating uh, uh rebuilding thing for me in the world it's my favorite thing to do is go out and just play shows that aren't special guests tribute to weird you know award shows whatever just, just go plug in the my songs with my band and the lasers and the gong and the fog machine and and actually feel like i'm doing what i set out to do that that's i'm very much looking forward to that and that starts next week so, well, that being said, I do got to ask about the gear and this famed Dumble mm. because I, and I'll kind of paint the, or well, if, if you want to explain what a Dumble is, that's fine. But like, you know, I didn't know if you were a two rock guy or what, but all of a sudden, I mean, you got gear that is already in the, the hall of fame. I mean, separate from you entering there. It's good stuff. Yeah. It's good stuff. And I don't, I don't need it, but I want it. Um, oh, that's fine. Yeah, I agree. I could go out and play a show with a, you know, uh, uh, blues junior and a great four amp. pedal board great amp really underrated amp and, yeah. a, and a four pedal board and you know one telly and it would be fine and nobody would be missing anything except me uh but there's this thing about like when we went to record at rca mm-hmm. you know it technically you're capable of doing almost all that stuff in somebody's basement and there's a mm-hmm. lot of basement studios, but you go record in RCA and you walk in the room and you think, I better do something worse as shit because that's where Dolly did I Will Always Love You and Jolene. And that's where, you know, Waylon did Only Daddy Gonna Walk the Line. And, you know, that's where Ray Charles made the Country and Western album. And, you know, you, you feel this like, maybe I don't belong here, but I got to do whatever I can to prove that I do. Yeah. And if you're on stage with a 1959 Les Paul running straight into a Dumble, you think to yourself, if I don't do something cool here, I'm going to look like a serious idiot. 
you know, <laughs> I really have to like this, this guitar and this amp will do everything that I can do. And then some. it's like my laptop. Like I do zooms and I do emails. Yeah. I'm not using the full processing power of the MacBook Pro. <laughs> yeah. That's how it is on stage. <laughs> With this gear, you know, and, and the thing about the Dumble, there's not a learning curve like I expect. You know, I had heard a few of them, played through yeah. a few of them before. Um, but really the difference is all of the knobs work. That's the best way I can put it. And that's how I judge a good piece of musical gear. Like mm-hmm. on the, the red eye on the 1959 Les Paul, you turn the tone knobs and it sounds very different from mm. number to number. And that's what I really fall in love with, because if you've got a Les Paul that'll do that, you can make it sound like a lot of different things. And with that dumble, if you bump the mid-range up just a little bit, you're getting a very different sound. Um, uh, plus, it's a lot of that amp. And, you know, that what we've done in the past sometimes is rely on an underpowered speaker and mm-hmm. push it too hard with yeah. the wattage from the amp to make the speaker drop and add to the gain stage that you're getting from the amplifier itself. But that's not how Dumble worked. Dumble would put a 200-watt rated, very hard, very big magnet, very firm speaker. So everything is being controlled from the circuit itself, from the head, from mm-hmm. the actual amplifier. So you're not relying on the speaker to do anything uh, that might be unpredictable. You can predict because you're in control of every sound that I, that is making. It's a 50-watt head and it's a 200-watt electro voice speaker. That's so if you don't put the right head on there, it's going to sound like hammered shit. You know, if you yeah. run like an old basement through it, not good, you know, because you need those four tens to, to distort in these. But with this one, you have the control. So it's basically like you're in a fighter jet as opposed to a Cessna. Um, and it's just easy to get a good sound out of it. Like Audley Freed came over to the house right after I got that amp. You know, this dude's played everything with everybody. Yeah. He's been around forever. He's in Cheryl Crow's band, but he was in the Black Crows and he had Pride Love early on his own band. And, and north carolina and you know this dude has done some really incredible shit and uh and he's a great guitar and he plugged into that amp and just could not believe what was happening because there's Mm. so much there's so much impact on each individual note you know there's so much like force behind it's like a piano you're hearing note the note might be conditioned by the gain or the drive or the treble or the bass but what you're hearing is the just real kernel of the guitar the instrument um so when you put a great guitar through it uh it's just more inspiring because you're hearing exactly what you're doing and it's fun and by the time it goes through all the PA and the speakers and gets out into the audience. I don't know. They might, they might not be able to tell the difference in that and the neural DSP image capture of it. I have for backup, you know, right. But I can tell the difference. You know? Well, I was going to say, that's all that matters. I mean, and, and especially, mm-hmm. I mean, your, your guitar tone is, is up there. I mean, it's, it's excellent. And as a person who, you know, grew up in a recording studio and is loved to sit and analyze, you know, the, the, the sonic, uh, you know, analyzing of, of different bands and stuff. I mean, it's it's phenomenal, and I think you know, obviously, your playing's incredible too. But I, I'm sure having the good gear's gotta gotta make things a little bit easier. Well, thank you. Yes, it does, and it, it it makes they like sometimes you go on stage, and no matter what you do, you can't get into that zone. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you're you're thinking, you're squeezing, and you're thinking real hard about everything you play. You never can just let it sort of fly. 
Mm-hmm. But I have found that the better my guitar sounds to me, the quicker and easier it is for me to get into that Zen place where I can improvise, but also keep the themes and the parts that I want to keep and just not be so consciously aware of every note that I play. Yeah. Uh, like we played in a, the basketball arena in Oklahoma City uh, a few weeks ago and you know, it's playing overseas and it's like the strat and then I've got the the tweed twin and the vibroverb and the dumble all going at once. And then I've got like, you know, uh, I think it's the analog man compressor that I'm using on that. And then like the echo fix tape delay. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. Uh, that's that's basically like a, like an echo flex, but you don't have to work on it every day. Yeah, um, true. <laughs> yeah, which is nice. But, you know, and I'm playing an old slab board strat through all that stuff and it's in the arena and it and it feels like you get to be david gilmore for a few minutes yeah you really get that like oh my god this feels like i'm in pink floyd playing them. so and when that happens you're not focused on each individual note or the timing or the intonation you know you're focused on the whole experience and you're really sort of creating and witnessing at the same time and the better the tone gets the easier it is for me to get to that point where i'm making something and also watching something be made yeah do you ever you ever watch your game tape you go back and look at your previous shows or listen and analyze or is it yeah i'll go back and listen yeah it's not a pick apart thing though it's just like because it's awesome it's always awesome (laughs) you know yeah (laughs) i just go back and i'm like dude fucking front of house guy killed it and then i text him at two in the morning ah it sounds unbelievable you know never we gotta do get I you go on nugs see it and think i know i know we, yeah but um no i never go back and think i need to do this differently or somebody else does because that that moment's gone and if i don't notice it in real time on stage in my ear mix and it's not a big enough deal to even mention because i've got a pretty good mix yeah well Jason, I want to thank you so, so much for your time. Um, I know, I know you got a ton of other stuff today, but, uh, it, it really meant a lot to get to chat with you. And I appreciate your, your candor and being so open and talking about all sorts of stuff. So thank you, Jeremy. It's, it's been fun, man. It's been, it's been entertaining to talk with you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, welcome home. Congrats again on, uh, the awards and, uh, onwards and upwards, my friend. So thank you. I'll talk to you again sometime. All right. We'll see you. Take care, Jason. Bye. All right. Have a good one. You too. Bye. You've been listening to Blamo. Our show is produced by Blamo Media. We're edited by Amar Lowell and our theme music, as always, by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like what you heard, you know the drill. Share the pod with a friend. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars or thumbs up on whatever other thing you're listening to us on whether it's Dingledorp or Bing Bong whatever it's called but you can also follow us on Instagram for all the hot content if you want to talk to us and give us your hot take we'd love to hear from you you can send us an email at info at last but not least super ultra important if I had an air horn I would press it right now you gotta come and join us over on Patreon because the fun never stops over there look the, the, the live show the, the, the free show whatever you want to call this we take breaks here and there but Patreon, it never stops. And we also got exclusive shows like Die Workwear, hosted by Derek Guy and Peter Zatolo, and The Triple J Show, hosted by yours truly with uh, John Moy and Gene Doyan. There's there's just a ton of stuff over there. So check it out at patreon.com forward slash blamo. If not, no worries. We got hundreds and hundreds of free episodes in the feed and uh, more to come. So we will see you all soon. 